Hi, Greg Perry, the historic preservationist. Welcome to episode 425. Um, shifting gears a, a little bit to uh, back to furniture, to period furniture. I'm going to talk about collection building, what to look for when building a collection, what means, what do you look for in quality furniture, and uh, generally how to train your eye. So let's let's get started. So quite apart from collectors, the study of antique furniture is one which will repay anyone furnishing a home, leaving aside all financial considerations. <coughs> there is great joy <coughs> in living with object lessons in good design, which by their very present train the eye. So very important to train your eye. The task of this episode is to make people look now and what to look for and know how to assess what they have seen. So this episode is not an academic work, nor is it a primer. It is intended as a reference for the practicing collector and dealer, a work from which the memory may be refreshed and points checked. Accordingly, free use has been made of some expressions such as, and you'll hear these from antique dick, uh, antique uh, auctions and collectors as right, wrong, honest, or marriage, confusing. So let us be the, make this quite clear that there is no correct price for a piece of antique furniture, or indeed any other antique that, for that matter. At school, we looked up stamps in a catalog and talked about them being worth a certain definite sum. Disillusion came when we tried to sell examples um, to the people who published the catalogs. Many people press in rethinking that a certain price can be attached to a piece of furniture. In fact, most people who handle furniture on a regular basis think of an individual piece as being within a price bracket, and you'll hear these thoughts expressed in a number of different ways. In conversation. Fortunately, for collectors, every piece is different, and dealers have different tastes and overheads, so that what is to one dealer seems just buyable at, say, $1,500, is to another outrageously expensive at $1,300. Secondly, the buyer of antique furniture must appreciate the extent to which quality influences value and how difficult it is at the top level of quality to anticipate how buyers will react at any given time. The understanding of how to assess this quality is the single most important point. Thirdly, um, one must bear in mind that auctions can sometimes generate results which appear without logical reason, but is by no means unique. Auction prices can be high and, of course, given the existence of prices, can also be ludicrously low. Add to this the uncertainty generated by offering a a piece for a brief two minutes, and it is clear why the prices quoted are those that you might be expected to pay if you buy a piece in the sort of shop in which such a piece would be normally stocked. This, of course, adds to an additional premium to quality for you, 
to find junk in a low-priced shop in top quality and an expensive establishment. Unless, of course, you have taken the trouble to learn the subject and are lucky enough to find a piece as it makes its way upwards through the trade. An area of concern for buyers of antique furniture must be restoration. Clearly, antique furniture is likely to have been damaged at some time in the past. So it is almost inevitable that some otherwise desirable piece will have been restored and clearly stated that it's, it's acceptable and must in the last analysis be a matter of personal opinion in which the buyer can accept this type of restoration. Bargains still exist. They always have and presumably will continue to do so. Traditionally, a bargain came from some royal shop where the dealer was ignorant of what he might have or has bought. This may still happen, but most dealers have a nose for quality, even outside their own line of country, and put the piece in the car. Visit the auctioneers and perhaps hawk it around to the specialist trade. Bargains nowadays, though, arise either from lack of knowledge about a newly discovered field of collecting like, say, neoclassical or gothic revival or else. And this is more likely from dealers who know exactly what they have bought but failed to keep it up to date with rapidly rising price levels. Once you have decided to buy, insist on an invoice and make sure that it gives the approximate date when the piece was made. The word style or type should never, and I repeat, never appear on the invoice for what you consider you're buying as period furniture. The invoice should be signed and dated, ideally on the letter head of the dealer. If any dealer refuses you an invoice on these lines, just don't buy it. No reputable dealer will refuse to give an invoice to a private buyer. As in any other subject, there is a gap between buying and selling price. However, it must surely be the acid test for buyers that it is also of use to buyers or to sellers and what I believe to be the case. But what percentage should be deducted by the seller from the price for buyers? The answer lies in the method of sale. Most of the large auction houses charge up to 22% to the buyer and up to 15% to the seller, and they sell the bulk of their lots to the antiques trade. This means that the price is realized have to stand at least two hefty margins. Those are the auctioneers and dealer. As a broad generalization, it is true that poor pieces often sell at surprisingly modest prices in these rooms. On the other hand, the expertise of the staff and the international connections of the firm tend to ensure the best possible market for high quality goods. So, 
in these cases, the price is realized more than compensates for the costs involved. And in any case, a high-value commission are negotiable. So, when selling an auction, ensure that a sellable reserve is fixed and ascertain the handling charge if the uh, reserve is not met. Many auctioneers are sufficiently confident in their judgment not to charge if they agree before the sale that the reserve is unreasonable or reasonable. So, another method of sale is to place a piece with a specialist dealer to sell on your behalf. Remember, this may take time and you should agree on the price. He will ask and the percentage he will require you to take. Remember also that when thinking about the value of a piece of furniture, outside influences always, always intrude. These include the general financial position of the overhead structure of the dealer or his financial strength. They can be simply summed up by the concept of demand. So during a slump of prices, tend to steady or even or fall, while during a boom, they tend to rise. It is only too easy to slip into the dead, a language of the auctioneer's catalog, which is entirely unhelpful for the collector trying to understand why values can vary so much. So in this connection, I hope that any owner whose piece is included and described in less than congratulatory terms will accept that my reason for so doing is to try to make distinctions in quality as clear as possible and is not merely the result of a warped sense of humor. So that's it. So that's our first in our series of connoisseurship and, and aiding and betting, uh, becoming a collector and how to collect period antique furniture. So uh, Greg Perry, the uh, historic preservationist, signing out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, pass our podcast on to friends and historians. Thanks for listening.